If you have your Bibles, find 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 through 31. Yeah, I mentioned my calling into ministry, um, which was a uh, quite a process I'd love to share with you sometime, but what I'd like for you to think about as we approach this passage together is your calling into ministry. Because every Christian is called into ministry. And if you've been with us over the last several weeks as we've worked through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you've seen that. Each every one of you is called to be a part of the body of Christ. Now today, my goal is just to sort of land the plane, the 1 Corinthians plane, because this will be our final sermon in 1 Corinthians for the summer. September has several special Sundays, which will have some special emphases, emphysema um, during the sermons. So we're going to com- conclude our summer in 1 Corinthians here. And um, it just worked out very well. It's going to be um, almost a, a summation of what we've seen in chapter 12. Um, I'm sorry, I had written something in my notes that made no sense. And when my eyes saw it, my brain decided, you can't look away until you figure out what that meant. You can see how much an intern's going to benefit from being here, can't you? <laughs> here's, what it, here's what it was reminding me to say. These have been um, several sermons in a row about the church and being the church together. Now, I realize you don't think about the church probably as often and as much as I do being your pastor. I mean, I think about our church and, and what it means to be a church and the church all the time. I realize that you each, and I look at you each, and I see, I see each face, and, and it represents a totally unique life circumstance and, and set of situations and challenges. And I, can, I realize that theoretical talk about the church can seem like way over here when you're dealing with this stuff right here that's loud and urgent and so I don't I don't go into that oblivious of all that and just talk about my thing that I care so much about but I do think that this passage is important for each and every one of you this morning and I think that these sermons about the church are important even if church doesn't seem to be the most important subject in your life right now because as a Christian your position in the church is so central to who you are now and what the Lord is doing in your life. that I don't think you can understand your life and your circumstances apart from understanding it through the lens of the church. Now, I know in America we tend to use church as sort of a garnish on the plate, and we have very full plates. But the way it's meant to be when we're baptized into Christ and we're baptized into unity of the church and into a church family Uh, we are completely interlocked and interdependent upon one another. And so whatever you have going on in your life, I really think you will be able to see it more clearly, understand it better, if you understand better your position in the church. So hopefully by the end of this brief sermon, those things will come together for you. Now, I'd like to read this passage. I know you've been sitting for a little bit, and you've you've already listened to Sam speak, and now you're going to listen to me speak. So why don't we stand and it'll do a couple things. It will, it'll be an expression of honor to God's word. We'll stand as we read it together. And it'll get your blood flowing a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
verses 27 through 31. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Let's pray. Father, here we sit beneath your word and ask that you would that you would sow it deep into the soil of our hearts and our souls and let it produce its fruit. Let it transform the way we think, the way we understand ourselves, our lives, our position in your church, your purpose for us. Lord, I just ask for your help as I preach this passage that you would help me serve your people well. And cancel out of my memory anything that would be askew from what's true in your word. And that you would speak to us plainly and clearly and powerfully this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Verse 27 pretty well summarizes what we've seen so far in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And it is the big idea of the sermon this morning. It says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now there's two pieces to this verse and two pieces to the summary of what we've seen so far. The first is you plural. Y'all would be the southern translation. It's plural. You all. Y'all are the body of Christ. Okay, as a collective, y'all are the body of Christ. You cannot be the body of Christ alone. It's impossible to be the body of Christ alone. It's us as a plurality that is the body of Christ. And maybe you've talked to people, I've talked to people who tried to explain why they don't need to be a part of a church. I've got God, the Holy Spirit, the gospel, and the Bible. And that's all I need. I can, I can do church in my living room by myself. Now, I understand where that sentiment comes from, but it's just not true. You cannot be the church alone. You need everyone else in here. Everyone else in here needs you because we are the body of Christ together. The second part of this is you singular. So you all are the body of Christ, and you as an individual are members of the body of Christ. So the body of Christ is this big collective and it's made up of individuals. So God doesn't meld you into the body of Christ and you become a Christian and do away with your individual boundaries and you become part of a a seamless oneness. You, your individuality, your unique you your self with your gifts 
your dispositions, your life history, your socioeconomic status, your vocation in life, your family situation, you, you are who God picked and put into the church. So there's two pieces there. You all are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Like we talked about last week, both the unity and the diversity are essential to being the body of Christ together. As he moves on in verse 28, continuing to conclude his arguments about spiritual gifts in the church, we see that God places us in the body of Christ. It says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. God appoints these things. That word appoint basically just means places together. It's the same word that Paul used earlier in 1 Corinthians to how he laid a foundation. So God laid it out. God lays out the church with the people, with the gifts and the callings as he sees fit. I think we can sometimes tend to think of the church and local churches as just sort of random piles of people. Like you might see a pile of lumber on a work site. And it's just, just God just scattered them out, just people. And they're kind of interchangeable. Some of them he could just send over there or some over here. But the picture the Bible presents is that the church isn't a pile of people. It's a structure of people fitted together purposefully. And God does it. God has the blueprints. God pieces it together. And if you are here and you are in Christ, a Christian, God puts you here. And he put you here on purpose. Not so that you could be like anybody else in here, but so that you as your individual self could be part of this body. Now, as we read that verse, you probably heard several things. You heard different offices in the church. Apostles, prophets, teachers. You heard miracles, which is generally thought of as like a work in the church. Works of miracles. Working miracles. And you heard gifts, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Spiritual gifts throughout this chapter has been presented like this. Just sort of of a list of examples and varied terms given for how we should think about them. Remember in verses 4 through 6, where it said, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God that empowers them all and every one. So gifts, services, activities, offices within the church, works within the church. And he's talking about this in sort of general terms. And yes, he's given some specific examples, but mainly he's talking about spiritual gifts and sort of a general idea of spiritual gifts. Now, in my experience we get bogged down in the details of this. Now, I don't know if you've thought much about spiritual gifts, which ones are still active in the church, which ones perhaps are not still active in the church. Actually, it would help me to know, have you, has this been a concern to anyone about like speaking in tongues and miracles? And is that still something we should expect? No. Oh, we're going to talk about it. 
Yeah, I grew up in a Southern Baptist tradition. We didn't talk a lot about spiritual gifts, but the underlying assumption was that there are some spiritual gifts that were very active when the church began and are now obsolete. And so if you see them practiced, it's illegitimate. Somebody's pretending. So the way it's put to you is there are sign gifts and edifying gifts or gifts that build up the body of Christ. Sign gifts would be, the, the hallmark one would be speaking in tongues. And they can go through the Bible and show a lot of good evidence for this theory. That these were gifts and miracles, for instance. These were things that accompanied um, Jesus' incarnation and the explosive beginning of the church. And they were important for that time period. And now as those are put away. Now we still have spiritual gifts like teaching, but not the sign gifts, just the edifying gifts, the gifts that build the church up. So that was my worldview about spiritual gifts growing up. I've told you before, one of my first jobs was at a warehouse, and with me in that warehouse were tons of Pentecostal Christians. And that was when I first got sort of challenged on this. These guys believe that every true Christian spoke in tongues, and if you didn't speak in tongues, you couldn't be a true Christian because it meant you didn't have the Holy Spirit. I mean, after all, when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, what was the first thing that happened? Everybody started speaking in tongues. Now, those guys were loose with their Bibles. Um, And so I still clung to my understanding from my heritage in the church of people who were who um, I felt took the Bible more seriously. But then my confidence in all this was greatly shaken when through the course of seminary, uh, you, start to, you start to get certain teachers that you really rely on, you really begin to trust. Um, and I had, you know, a growing assortment of these teachers that I trusted. And one day I was reading one of them, one of the ones I trusted the most, and I realized he believes miracles and speaking in tongues and prophecy, that all these are still totally valid, active, legitimate spiritual gifts in the church. And that just sort of, I had never known that one could really seriously read the Bible and come to those conclusions. And it really shook me up a little bit. His name was John. Another guy that I really respect, also named John. These are like big name guys. Complete diametrically opposite views about spiritual gifts. How can that be? These men are serious Bible students, Bible scholars, falling on different sides of the spectrum here. And you look across the landscape of the church and you see we divide. We divide along these lines about spiritual gifts. Now, my job this morning and our job as we study the Bible is not to answer every question that we have but to faithfully try to understand what this actually says. So once again, I'm here to disappoint you massively because I can't sort all this out about spiritual gifts. Okay, is, is John MacArthur right? These sign gifts are over? Or is John Piper right? These sign gifts are still in effect. Matt Broadway's gonna decide? I just don't think it was a priority to God to make it that clear. And in this passage, which is one of the, the premier passages about spiritual gifts, 
He just doesn't say. He doesn't elaborate on that. And he doesn't elaborate on that because that's not the point of what he's talking about at all. And so I have to avoid the temptation that we pastors and teachers and preachers have. You get to a subject like this and you know there's controversy and you just want to get all into it and sort it out. But I just can't. And we can't do that faithful to this passage because that's not what this passage is even about. So when you're reading a book like 1 Corinthians, you're listening to one side of a phone conversation. Have you ever done that? Your spouse is on the phone, you're trying to figure out who it is, what they're talking about based just on their one side of the conversation. That's what we have here. So we've got this one side of the conversation, Paul's letter to them, and we just have to see what he's saying and let that form our thinking. Okay, uh, another guy that I listen to a lot, Alistair Begg, always says, in the Bible, the main things are the plain things. And the plain things are the main things. So what we need to do is look for what is the main thing here. And it's not whether or not there are still apostles and prophets and miracles and gifts of healings and tongues. That's not the main thing. These are just examples of spiritual gifts that these people would have been familiar with. That's not his main point. So let's read on and see what his main point is. Look for repeated phrases. And that's often a really good clue when you're reading your Bibles as to what's the main point of the passage. So we'll start back at verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? Now, did you get pick up on any repetition there? Are all, do all, rhetorical questions pointing to the fact that no. See, God places us as individuals in the body of Christ. And we aren't all the same, and we don't all do the same stuff. Now, if you've been with us through more of our study of 1 Corinthians, you'll know that this was a deeply troubled and divided church. And they divided for a lot of different reasons. But one of them was they worshipped people who were good speakers. They loved an eloquent speaker, teacher, preacher, and that was because of their culture. The culture of their day just prized orators. So I think what Paul is saying here is stop thinking like the world and realize that within the church, everybody is important and has a unique function to play. And not everybody's going to be an elegant, uh, elegant, eloquent speaker. I'm exemplifying that right now for you. Human living object lesson. Are all the same kind of thing in the church? Do all do the same kind of thing in the church? No. It's like a body. Some people are like hands. Some people are like feet. Some people are like eyes. Some people are like ears. And it's all necessary. So the big idea isn't, here's a complete list of spiritual gifts. Translate this into a test. Figure out which ones are yours. And now now you know. 
The big idea is you guys need to love each other and be united in spite of your extreme diversity. If you look at all the parallel passages about spiritual gifts, and I invite you to do that. That'll be homework. I actually had them all, but Sam just kept going on and on, so I don't have time. I'm kidding. You did perfect. But go do some research. Find the other passages in the New Testament that give out a list of examples of spiritual gifts. And I think you will find that the same emphasis is there. It's not these are the gifts. Those are just examples. The emphasis is always unity in the church, serving one another in the church. And that God is glorified through it all because he's the originator of all this. Like verse 27 says, now you all are the body of Christ, united, and individually members of it, diverse. Now, before I can safely land our plane here and just give you kind of one concluding thought to cap off our experience in 1 Corinthians this summer, we have a problem verse, a little bit of turbulence in verse 31. Did verse 31 throw you? Did you notice it? Okay, we'll read verse 31. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And then it goes into the beautiful love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, that you hear at weddings. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Now, to me, that seems to almost go completely against everything he's just been arguing. You know, all through what we've been seeing over the last several weeks, he's saying, you know, the diversity in the body of Christ is good. God appoints that. God arranges it. He composes it that way. If you're a hand, don't try to be an eye. If you're an eye, don't try to be an ear. Are all this, are all that? And then he comes to this, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now, for just a moment, we're in Bible interpretation class together. I know you didn't sign up for it, but you stumbled into it. Now, remember, we're reading this in English, different translations of original Greek. Okay, yours is probably NIV or maybe the ESV is what I'm reading. And the English translators have to do their best to translate this whole different language into our language, and they're different. Now, the word that gets translated in my translation, earnestly desire, can either be in one of two different forms. One's a command form, and one's just a true, truth form, uh, imperative or indicative. Okay, it's either a command, earnestly desire these, or it's just a truth. You guys earnestly desire these. And the two forms are identical in the Greek, and you have to just figure it out by context. So if you just look at the word, you don't know if it's an imperative uh, or an indicative, if it's a command or just a statement of fact. And there's no real consensus. So option number one, you go the route of most English translations. I bet every, Engl- I bet every translation in here words it similarly to what I said as a command. Earnestly desire the higher gifts. Okay, that seems to make some sense. If you read a little further, the beginning of verse of chapter 14 says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. 
especially that you may prophesy. And then he goes on to explain why. So I think that's a legitimate way to go. Now, you could also interpret it as a statement of truth, which then would be worded something like, you all covet higher gifts, but I will show you a more excellent way. And then he describes love. Now, in the immediate context, to me, that seems like it fits a lot easier. Um, I think it makes more sense of the the language because it's actually typically a negative. That word translated earnestly desire, usually it's covet. Um, so which one is it? I don't know. I don't know. People way smarter than me have worked on this and still disagree. That probably seems like a cop-out, and it is. I, I could not get to a point where I felt confident enough to tell you what it was this morning. So we'll keep doing homework and studying and thinking about it. I don't know which one he means. Now, one reason I'm okay with leaving it there is because of how he ends it. Either way, whether it's a command, it's good to desire higher gifts if done rightly, or whether it's just a statement of fact, y'all covet these higher gifts— Either way, it dumps out into the same conclusion. I'm going to show you a more excellent way. Love one another. And that's where we'll land. So this has been an at times challenging study through 1 Corinthians 12. I want to land kind of as Paul does here on this note of love. You all are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So let's look at this excellent way of being the body of Christ and individually being members of it. He says in chapter 13, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, But have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So, now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. You all are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And the most excellent way to go about being the body of Christ, the most excellent way, 
is love. Many of you may have taken spiritual gift tests. I have, and they are somewhat helpful, help you understand yourself. But I think a more helpful test is the love test. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ and received the love of God and become so filled with it that you respond in love to him and with love for people? Somebody asked Jesus the most important two commandments, and he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then we understand the great commission to be emerging of these great loves, connecting these people we care so much about to this God that we can't stop talking about through discipleship. So has Jesus transformed your heart? Do you love God? Do you love people? Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? The world would have you believe that you will find yourself and figure yourself out and discover your identity through self-reflection and thinking about yourself. But God's word teaches that you really find yourself and discover your identity by thinking about others, serving others, loving others. So let us not end our study on the spiritual gifts looking inward at ourselves, figuring ourselves out. Let's just trust the Lord in what he says, that the Holy Spirit is in us and he is gifting us. And let's get busy about loving one another. When I was a kid, I played in our woods and back behind our house. Actually, as an adult, I found out I was trespassing all those years. But it was okay, I guess, back then. And there were no trails or paths through the woods. Uh, But as we discovered our favorite places, we would go there. And we would go there several times a week. And eventually, sure enough, paths developed. I think that's how it goes as we discover our gifts. It's not about what's my gift, you know, the American way of figure it out, nail it down, put on the name tag, I'm Matt, I'm a teacher, use it. I think it's as we love one another and we move toward one another. Over time, similar paths get worn in our lives, and we see, oh, well, the way I tend to be fruitful in loving and serving my brothers and sisters in Christ is this. And we discover that the Holy Spirit has been moving in us all the while. And it's different for each of us. Some of us, it's the path looks like going as in mission uh, as missionaries to an unreached people. Some of, us, some of us is more proclaiming and preaching. Some of us is more like teaching. Uh, I, I, my path is always teaching. You may have heard the statement, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Well, to me, everything looks like a lesson needs to be planned and taught. Because I think I'm a teacher. It's something different for each of us. Believing prayer. You know, I have certain people that when I need prayer, I text them because... Perhaps that's their spiritual gift, is just very faithful, believing prayer. I love to have them pray for me. Maybe it's just helping people. Maybe it's administrative. Infinitely others. The Holy Spirit could gift you in any, any number of ways. The point is to love one another. The point is to love one another. So as we close, I want to encourage you, trust and follow Jesus Christ. And let him renovate your heart to love God and love people as yourselves because you all are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for 
allowing us to be the body of Christ and for composing us just the way you want and arranging us just so. Lord, help us to live out of our identity as the body of Christ together. Help us to love one another the way you teach us to. Help us to receive your love through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.